And Dan came to me one day and he said to me, he said, hey, do you mind if I call you something other than PK? And I said, well, what would you like to call me? He said, I want to call you Special K. And <laughs> <laughs> he's like, how do you turn down a 13-year-old, right? How do you say, no, that's weird, man. Don't call me Special K. So he and I, he's the only one that can call me Special K. But uh, we do that together, don't we, bro? One of the things that I've been doing uh, is uh, actually, in all these years of ministry, 40 years of ministry, I, I've perfected a new technique for baptism. And uh, so I'm, I'm mentoring pastors, and I'm sharing with them water baptism. This is a very special technique. Now, you guys got the sound up, because that's important on this. This has sound, so here we go. I think here we go. We got the sound. We just don't have the video. Here we go. Believe it or not, that was the very last baptism that I did. Oh, you're going to get a second and a third look at this, I guess, huh? Okay, wow. The exciting thing was that gal that I baptized was from a Hindu background. That was the very first time she'd been in our church building. She was saved during COVID, and she started attending a prayer meeting that we did for 343 nights. We prayed every single night. And that gal came on, and it was like, oh my goodness, the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. She started praying like she'd been a believer forever. Listen, I, I'm wondering this morning, you know, as, as we're, um, my title, the title of my message this morning is Give Your Fears a Scare. And I want to talk to you a bit about fear because fear is a big thing today, isn't it? It's a big thing amongst believers, even believers like you who have been faithful and been in church and been in the Word and trusting God and knowing God and walking with God. There are a lot of things that are coming at us that are kind of fearful, aren't they? And it, fear is a reality. What we do with it is, is another thing, Right? And so I want to talk to you about having a strategy, a biblical strategy, not some little goofy thing, you know, some little weird technique. No, I want, to, I want to actually teach you from the Bible this morning how to have a strategy to face fear. Because we're all going to face it. It comes from so many different things. I mean, there's fears in the economy, fears with the government, fears with COVID, fears with the shot, non-shot, all this kind of stuff, right? We got fears going on all kinds of places, and it's, it's going to be a reality that we're going to be facing the rest of our lives, frankly. And it's not like it's a new reality. Fear's been around for a long time, right? And yet having a way to deal with it. I want to start with, a, with an illustration of uh, when, I was a, when I was a small boy. How many of you have an older brother or sister? Some of you youngins here. You got an older brother or sister? How many of you have an older brother or sister who tries to scare you? Have you ever had? Yes? Okay. I would, when I was your age, some of you little ones right there, when I was your age, we used to walk home at night in the dark, not, not in the prairies, in the forest on Friday nights. And when we walk home through the forest on Friday nights from the little town of the village that we used to hang out in, my brother used to scare me to death. 
He'd jump out from trees and go around and he'd just all the time. So when I got older and grown up, I actually in my early days was a real estate broker by the age of 26. And so I, I actually, so I'm a dual citizen. I, I actually sold at that time in Seattle, Washington. So back in that time and in that day, the builders started this thing where they create, they called it the street of dreams and custom builders would come and build out a whole street of homes that had every amenity that you could imagine. Things that 98% of people couldn't afford, but uh, like, to, like to see. And so I had the keys to all those houses because I was a realtor. So I said to my wife one, one, one night, my brother was visiting, my older brother, the one who scared me all the time, he was visiting. I said, hey, would you guys like to go and see the Street of Dreams? It could be just a fun thing for us to do. So one Sunday night when I knew nobody would be there, we went to see these homes. Now, because I'd seen so many homes, I wasn't interested in going through every detail, but my brother and my wife, they're going and they're, you know, looking at everything and pointing everything and, oh, look at this and look at that. So I was two or three rooms ahead of them when I come into this room that actually has a built-in closet. And I, I looked at it and it had a little placard on it and it said it's actually a revolving wall. Can anybody see where this is going to? I hit the button, it opened up, it was perfectly dark in there, okay? Opened up and then it's dark. So I'm hiding in the dark and I can hear my brother saying, oh, look, Cindy. Now, my wife was heavy with child. I'm glad that she was behind him by a little ways. Look, Cindy, this wall actually opens up. And when he hit the button, what do you think I did? I let out. Get ready. He, guess what he did? He started, he was running and dancing and jumping all over the place. Oh, did I feel good about that. Oh, my, oh, my, sweet revenge. <laughs> Do you know that the people of God, the children of Israel, they found themselves on more than one occasion in places of fear, even to the place that the Bible says they were terrified. Experiences that they had to go through in learning how to trust God. We're going to look at one of those. That I'm, the strategy that I'm hoping to give you is threefold today, if I can get through it all in the time that I have. I want to, the first part is, is I, want you, I want to give you some ways to think right about what's going on in your life. When I'm talking about fear, I'm talking about the difficulties. Fear is always surrounded by difficulty and challenge. That's part of the reason why we get afraid, because things are overwhelming us. And so I want to, in the first part, I want to help you think right. In the second part, I want you to, part, I want you to, how to behave right and respond right. And the third is how to pray right, okay? So we're going to the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, is actually this, this event 
that becomes a backdrop, if you would, a point of reference for the people of God all the way through the Old Testament, even into the New. You and I know it as the Red Sea event, right? And when you and I tend to think about the Red Sea, we tend to think about the victory, right? The Red Sea parted, the Israelites went through on dry land, glory to God, amen, right? But what we don't think about is what it took to get there. Where'd they come from? 400 years of being told when to get up, what to wear, when to go out, what to eat, what to do, how long you were going to work, when to go to sleep. Their lives were in cruel bondage in Egypt. They were tortured, mistreated, abused in every way. 400 years of that led to this incredible victory. Right? So we pick up the story in chapter 14, verse 1, where we see, Then the Lord said to Moses, so it's the Lord speaking to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pith-Hatharoth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal-Zephon. What I want you to see in this passage right here is the fact that the Lord is giving very, very distinct and precise instructions, coordinates, if you were, almost like a GPS. I want you to go to this exact spot. Notice that there is a mountain on one side and a sea on the other, which means... When you come in, there's only one way in and also means there's only one way out. Now imagine being in a camping spot where you got the sea on one side and the mountain on the other side to keep the wind and all the, everything else away. You'd think you were in the best spot on earth, right? Until you weren't. Which takes us to the first principle about thinking that I want to give you. Wherever you're at right now, is exactly where God has you. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, this principle for some of you could be, hey, yay, fantastic. Like I'm in a really, really great place, as as Pastor Dan said. I had a great week. I've been having a great month. I'm having a great life. Then you're cheering me on. But if, in fact, you were in that last group, this morning, and you admitted, no, this week was really hard. For some of you, it hasn't just been a week, or a month, or even a year. And for you, that's pretty hard to receive. Like, are you kidding me? Wherever God's got me right now, wherever I'm at is where God's got me? Which leads me to the next thing I want you to think about in getting our minds straight in terms of facing difficulty and challenge in our life, facing fear in our lives. And this is what God says in verse 4. The word says in verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. So God says, I'm responsible for what's about to happen. Why? 
I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Here's the second principle. Right thinking about difficult and challenging circumstances. God's glory is more important than my relief. Can you say that with me this morning? God's glory is more important than my relief. Do you believe that? Now here's the thing. For most believers today that I know of, myself included at times, it's like when things aren't going well, we are praying and we're saying, Lord, where are you? Like, what are you doing? Like, get me out of this. And yet here's the thing, friends. How many of you really want Jesus to be seen in your life? How many of you really want people to know that, what, that this isn't just a thing that you do, that church isn't just a place you go, that it's not just a, a tradition you have, but that the living God is in you. How many, is that important to you? Do you realize that God is most often seen in your life not when everything's going fantastic and you're letting everybody know about how great everything is and how fabulous the crops were this year and how, how well we did, but actually when things aren't and your attitude is responding with thanks and praise and worship when everybody else is grumbling, complaining, and being negative. Which then brings me to the third point and the place that I'm going to center in more of my talk this morning, more of my message this morning. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. Now imagine... 400 years in bondage, those that have been abusing you, mistreating you, making your life awful, they're coming for you. Whoops. They were terrified, it says, and cried out to the Lord. Terror, terror describes another level of fear. It's one thing to be scared in a closet or have someone jump out behind a tree. That's not this kind of fear. Terror is overwhelming fear. Note that they cried out to the Lord. And so it brings me to the third principle, which is when you're facing fear, when you're facing difficulty, when you're facing challenge, pray, pray, pray. Now, I'm not just talking about any kind of prayer. There are different ways to pray. There are different modes of prayer. The kind of prayer I'm talking about is what I call crisis mode praying. It's praying when the chips are down. It's praying when things aren't going well. It's praying when you actually don't feel like praying. It's praying when you don't even know what to say. It's praying when you're so upset or so challenged or so frightened or so overwhelmed that you just want to run. It's what I call crisis mode praying. And why is it important that we learn how to pray 
in times of crisis because this is true. Every true follower of Jesus Christ will repeatedly find themselves in seasons of crisis and difficulty. That's not popular thinking in the church today. In the city churches or the rural, rural churches. Popular thinking is, is that if I'm a follower of Jesus, then everything ought to go right in my life because he's God and he ought to make it all work out. But the truth is, every true follower of Jesus is actually going to go through God-ordained, God-designed seasons where he's going to even lead you to places to cause you to trust him in ways that you never have. Can anybody say amen to that? Did I lose anybody? The New Testament is full of verses just like this that says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The way of Jesus actually does incorporate suffering into life. There is no Christianity that does not know suffering, and yet in modern Christendom and postmodern Christendom, it's something that we rarely talk about, and yet we are starting to experience in this country which once was free, but actually no longer is fully free, is it? And if we are following the Lord Jesus, if we're not just simply believing in him, that he died and was buried and rose again and we're going to heaven, important things to believe, but he actually calls us who believe to follow. Amen? And where did he end up? He ended up on a tree. The cross. Friend, I would suggest to you that in some way, very different than him, if you're following Jesus, you too will at times feel like you're on a tree. but for very different reasons. But it will be because you're following him. Now, there's a fabulous little book by um, Robert Morgan called The Red Sea Rules. Outstanding little devotional. Be fabulous for families as well. Uh, where he talks about rules for living when you're in this Red Sea experience. And, and in that, he and, and I've used that as a resource for this message, but in that, he says about the Israelites' prayer on that day, he says, it was urgent. That's good. Hey, they're praying with urgency. He says, the second thing about it is it was united. They were all praying about the same thing and in agreement. The third thing was it was unfeigned in that they were very sincere. Lord, help us! They are crying out to God. But then he makes this very interesting observation. I'm about ready to throw you a curveball. He says, it was unbelieving. 
You can have urgent prayer, you can have united prayer, you can have sincere prayer, and yet unbelief nullifies it. How many like chocolate chip cookies? Are they any good without the chocolate chips? No. How many have a smartphone? What do you call a smartphone without a SIM card? Dumb. Exactly, right? Doesn't work. Same is true about prayer. Prayer offered in unbelief doesn't get you anywhere at all. Now, I ought to have your attention right now, right? And why is that? Because I don't know a believer alive who doesn't at times struggle with unbelief. I don't know a pastor alive who doesn't sometimes struggle with unbelief. So our attention ought to be here because actually we could fall into this very same trap. Amen? And so we're in need of actually how do we not get there and how do we get out of there if we are there? Because here would be the truth. I've spoken in, you know what, revelation moment, okay? I once was young. I no longer am. I speak with a perspective that I didn't always have. I used to speak about these things not knowing what I know today. What I know today is the fact that there are those of you in here, I know that I know without knowing any of you, that there are those of you right now that are actually struggling with unbelief in your hearts. And the Holy Spirit actually wants to help you. It's never about condemnation with the Holy Spirit. It's never about a beat down. It's never about a beat up. It's always about wanting to help you. It's always about wanting to bring you and encourage you. And so if you're in a place of struggle right now, you're in a good place. Because he's wanting to help. How do I know that they were in unbelief. Can't, you can't just take my word for it because the text reveals it. Look what the text says. It says, they said to Moses, who said to Moses? Those who had been in bondage, severely treated, abused. Their life was awful in Egypt. And yet look what they said. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Imagine that, would you? Can you imagine that mindset to say, hey, Back off, Jack. Just let us stay in slavery the rest of our lives. Let us be beat on and beat up and, and yelled at and screamed at and whipped. Leave us with that. Hey, that's a cool life. We'd rather have that than what you're leading us through right now. Wow. Would you, if I could help you with some sort of metric to be able to discern how much unbelief might currently be in your heart right now. If I could help you do that, not in a judgmental way. These are things I don't know about you, but man, if you can help me, goodness, because 
you know, sometimes I get blind to my own story, right? And it's like, I'm saying, I don't have any unbelief. Like, I'm, I'm a believer. Like, I'm, I'm a Jesus guy. Like, I'm a pastor. I preach the book. And yet the Holy Spirit has shown me some things about how I can tell whether I'm struggling with unbelief or not. Nothing. Oh, first of all, I, I'm not sure I got an answer. Does anybody want to know? Yeah. <laughs> anybody up there? Okay. Hey, everybody. Nothing exposes our unbelief more clearly than our grumbling and complaining. You guys know anybody who grumbles and complains? Nobody's looking around. Don't look around. Don't look around. None of this. None of this. None of this. Do you know what I know? I know that every one of us in this room have times and places where we grumble and complain. Isn't that the truth? I'm caught at times having preached this message more than once. And the Holy Spirit revealing to me, oh my goodness, the very thing you're talking to people about and telling about that you're doing right now. This is something that actually we as human beings tend to be prone to. Now, why is it an issue? I want you to see something I feel like the Lord really revealed to me. Grumbling and complaining acts as a corrosive inside your spirit, and it gobbles the faith that you have right out of your heart. Can anybody see that? So here you're walking in faith. You've had time, as the pastor said, you've had time with the Lord. You've met together. You're meeting in a group. You're talking. You're, you're sharing the word. You're sharing what the Lord's said to you. And then you go into another encounter. And all of a sudden, we're grumbling and complaining about the Canadian government and the prime minister and the premier. And what's going on here in Alberta? And hey! And we're going and we're going and going. And all of a sudden, any faith we had has been gobbled completely out of our hearts. And now we've reduced everything down to how bad it is. How terrible our circumstances are. How awful the world is. How evil, how wicked. All that might be true. I'm not suggesting or minimizing. But that's not what God's called you and I to be or to do. There are two common responses to crisis, fear, challenge, difficulty in human lives. Faith or fear. We've basically got two roads we can choose from. People who respond in faith tend to pray. This is a key. People who respond in fear tend to complain. Those who pray are far less likely to complain. Doesn't mean it's impossible but they're far less likely. Those who complain are far less likely to pray. Anybody say amen to that? Why? Because your complaint has eaten the faith, the very faith, the substance that you needed to be able to pray. It's eaten it right out of your heart. You've talked yourself out of it changing. And if you complain enough, you can't believe for anything, can you? Oh my. 
That's worse than chocolate chips being missing from the cookie, I wouldn't tell you that. And a whole lot worse than a SIM card being removed from your phone. Because prayer is as essential to a Christian as breath is to a human being. If you can't pray, you're a defenseless Christian. Now some of you are going, all I need is a word, man. All I need is a word. Really? That's not what the word says. Yes, you need the word. Because the word actually educates us on how to pray, but the weapon of warfare is the word and prayer. Amen? Amen. What tendency is yours? Faith or fear? Believing or complaining? I, I ask you this morning, how does our faith get so twisted up? How is it we come and we sing these great hymns? It took a miracle. Hallelujah. What a great song. How do we sing these great hymns? How do we, how do we speak the word to one another? How do we challenge and encourage each other? And then we get all twisted up and we're grumbling and complaining and acting like we don't believe anything. How does it happen? Well, I, I, I've got a thought for you. Have you, ever, have you ever heard of a condition called the twisties? Have you really, young man? Okay. Boy, I'm almost tempted to have you come down here and explain it. <laughs> that's awesome. If you really have, that's awesome. The twisties. Let me tell you a little bit about it. The Olympics last, last summer. If you recognize this woman here, her name is Simone Biles. Not arguably, not arguably, agreed. Worldwide, this is the best gymnast that's ever lived on the face of this planet. Going into the 2021 Olympics... She was expected to win more gold medals in gymnastics than had ever been won before. The eyes of the collective gymnastics world, I know we're Canadians and I know that we're from the prairies and I don't know that Canadians anywhere actually watch the Olympics. I don't know. I, everywhere I go, I said, did anybody watch the Olympics? No, nobody watched the Olympics. I always loved the competition. I've always loved the competition. Anyhow. The collective eyes of the world are, are on this woman, and she gets to the first event, which is, you know, she's running down a, a runway, and then she hits a spring, and then she goes off the, uh, the, the pommel horse, or whatever, the, the thing that she hits, and she flies up. Now, in a hundredth of a second, this woman has to know, does she twist, does she turn, does she roll? Does she come up or does she go down? One hundredth of a second is all she got to do, make that decision. And a hundredth of a second takes place faster than me saying a hundredth of a second. And if she glitches for even a smidgen of that hundredth of a second, the thing's off and she's off. And in that first event, when she landed, she moved. And there was a collective gasp around the world and the next day she withdrew from competition the best gymnast on the planet and they asked her why wh what happened and she said I got the twisties and when I heard that when I heard that I was foolish and naive enough to say 
What, is, what lame excuse is that? Until it got explained to me that under extreme challenge, extreme pressure, extreme expectation, that one's mind can glitch, even for that much. And you say, Pastor, that's a nice story, but what on earth does that have to do with anything? Because I see what happening in the lives of the people of God in this day, in small rural Alberta, as well as the city dwellers, is we're getting the spiritual twisties. Now, what do I mean by the spiritual twisties? Well, I know in this house, this book right here is the sole authority for everything we believe and how we behave. Amen? Amen. This is it. This isn't just a reference book, friends. This is the book of books. That's why you exist here. That's one of the primary reasons. And yet here's the challenge we're facing across Canada right now in particular, but the world. Is that what we know to be true in our minds and what we feel to be right in our hearts is getting very twisted up. And what is happening is all across Canada, what we feel is right has become more important than what we know is right. And so all of a sudden we have all these believers who once used to actually say, it doesn't matter how I feel, it matters what His Word says, capitulating and actually trusting their feelings over the word. And it's impacting everything right down to who I know to be. Right? And that challenge is here. It's everywhere. To think that you're protected from it, to think that it isn't happening here, would be a big mistake. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move through this because I'm not going to have time to go through this right there, but I'm going to go back to the second strategy. How do we respond, respond biblically to our fears and our challenges? The first thing that we have to do to, to get over the twisties is we have to first begin by confessing that we struggle with unbelief. You, you cannot go with the assumption that, hey, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. I was baptized, okay? All that's settled. No, no, no. We're talking about an ongoing reality. Unbelief can become a daily kind of thing that you and I have to deal with. It starts with us confessing it. And I love this passage from the book of Mark where the guy who had the son who was off the, off the rails... And, you know, we understand that he was demon-possessed. We just don't call those things today the same thing. He came to Jesus. He said, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. Jesus said, if I can, I always love that response, right? Do you know who you're talking to? Like, dude, I made you. And you're asking me if I can help? Of course I can help. 
If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible to the one who believes. And I'd say to you, the, the, the juxtaposition is true too. Nothing's possible for them who don't. Your unbelief actually robs you from being able to see God do the miracles we just sang about this morning. Amen? Amen. Here we go. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is what I want you to hear this morning, manner. You do believe. Of course you do believe. That's why you're here. But there are times and seasons in your life where you're struggling with unbelief. And wondering if God can change it, really. Can he do anything about it? So you have to pray the prayer is, is Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That prayer I have prayed so many times I can't even count. Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome this unbelief I'm wrestling with. Okay? The second thing that you and I need to do is we need to exercise our belief. Well, you say, Pastor, that just seems kind of ridiculous. What are you saying? Exercise your belief? Of course we're believers. We're exercising our belief. No. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, anyone who says the mountain, the mountain is your impossibility. There's not a person in this room today who isn't wrestling with something that seems impossible that seems too big to change, too difficult, too hard, too challenging, too fearful. Whoever says this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. See, again, you have to believe it's possible for it to become possible. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Some of you, I know, I know some of you from Manor, Gospel Chapel, are saying, man, Pastor Dan, where'd you get this charismatic preacher? He's, he's, he's preaching all this faith stuff. No, no, no. I'm sharing with you what the Bible says. <laughs> Amen? Now, here's the thing. You have to actually put your faith to work for it to work. The fields don't just cut themselves. Amen? Listen to me talking farming, huh? <laughs> This city's liquor. <laughs> you have to actually put seed in the ground for something to grow. Faith does its best work when it's aimed at your biggest fears. Here's the crazy thing. We actually don't pray about the things that we need to pray about. Your greatest difficulties, your most challenging circumstances. And then number three, you got to quit complaining. I, I felt like it's going to seem so simple to you. It's going to be like, you're a pastor and you're saying that this... I felt like I got a light on this one. Like this scripture here I've read, I've memorized... I know, and yet, in light of what I'm talking about right now, is like, man, there's just a fresh revelation here to me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that, here's the reason, so that you may become blameless and pure. Hold on just a second. Take, take it in the context. If you quit complaining and arguing, 
there's a reality that you become pure and blameless and children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, which in fact we do live in, Look what it says. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. You know that you interpret the text from the context, right? So if I'm using the context of what it says to interpret what he's saying, he's saying that if you and I would just quit grumbling and arguing and complaining, we're going to stand out like we're a star in the sky. Seriously? That's all it would take. That tells you how big grumbling and complaining really is. Okay? And here's the challenge. The reason why we don't stand out like stars in the sky is because we're too busy trying to fit in. Isn't it true? And then we have this now. Can I, t- can I tell you what the really lame excuse is? We have this really lame excuse is, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Like I'm in a group at work and they're all complaining. They're all unbelievers. What am I going to do? Like that's just who they are. Or... I'm with church friends. How am I? I don't want to upset them. I don't, you know, what am I going to? I'm just, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. Who's this talking to? Pastors and missionaries? No, it's talking to you. It's talking to me. If you actually want to stand out, you want to actually give God glory from your life, then you got to follow Him. If you're going to follow Him, you got to actually take some level of risk. But there's a way to do it. If I gave you the way, would you do it? If I gave you a way to actually confront grumbling and complaining, would you do it? Well, I'm going to give it to you. Here's what I'd say. is I'd say, Susie, is it really your name? <laughs> Maybe I am charismatic. <laughs> That's weird. In a good way. Susie. Okay, so Susie, you and I got a deal going here. So I'd say, Susie, Susie could be my next door neighbor. She could be a fellow workmate. She could be my boss. It doesn't matter because God's no respecter of persons. And the Holy Spirit in you gives you the ability to overcome your Canadianism. Remember, I'm a Canadian. I am a Canadian. Not by birth, by choice. Overcome your Canadian niceness to elevate it over so that your Christian life takes over and you're following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I say, oh, I forgot. I'm back to you, Susie. I'm back. I say, Susie, you are obviously very distressed over this situation. It's got you so upset. And you know what? I'm not going to dismiss that for one second. 
You have every right to be. Listen, I'm not, anybody that's grumbling, complaining, there's a reason generally, okay? So I'm not going to say you're an idiot. I'm not going to say, hey, you know, get right with God. What's your problem? You know, you're, you're just eating faith right out of our hearts. I'm not going to say that to them. I'm going to say, I understand why you're so upset and why you're so troubled and distressed. Can I actually pray about that with you? Weapon of warfare. Step up to the plate. But you say she's not a believer. Not you, but you know, some other Susie. (laughs) That's going to make a difference for that unbeliever right there. I'm not asking your permission. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to pray. Lord, this is so troubling. Susie and I are both bothered with what's happening in Ottawa right now. We're, We're distressed out of our minds. The decisions that they're making about our children our families, and we're coming in Jesus' name to bring this to you. Guess what? You just changed the whole atmosphere. Not only did you change the atmosphere, you redirected everything. Again, you say, I'm not a pastor. No, you're not. But you are a priest of God. Male or female, young or old, and in doing that, exercising that simple level of boldness, you just change the circumstance for everybody on heaven and on earth. I told you I was going to tell you how to give your skiers a fear. We're winding down here in case you were wondering. (laughs) I am winding down. Let's go back to the closet. Now, if my brother was a little bit smarter, he's four years older, he was just a little bit smarter, he'd have thought about his younger brother who had not been seen nor heard in a little bit. And then when he saw that, imagine this scenario working out just a little different. He comes up to that sign, he sees the sign, he reads the sign. He looks back at my wife and goes, What if he would have gone, ah! I guarantee you, I would have gone, ah! it would have been me. Do you know what? The things that have been scaring you have been scaring you for a long time. They're not brand new. They might have a couple of different names and a couple of different faces, but I guarantee you at the heart of that, the things that have been frightening you, overcoming you, overwhelming you are not new. What about if you went after those yourself and actually began to pray in a very biblical way? And what way is that? First of all, here's the strategy, a prayer strategy. First of all, you've got to identify the hairiest, scariest thing in your life right now. What is it? What is that mountain that you feel like has not changed, will not change, cannot change, that you've, you've determined in your mind it cannot be different? Oh, unbeliever that you are. Because all things are possible for him or her who believes. Amen? Amen. And we've all got them. Identify it. The next thing that I'm asking you to do is actually reset believing targets. What am I saying? The things that most of us pray about are things that we can handle ourselves. We've stopped praying about the big things 
and the things that we really need to be praying into and praying about, and we pray about the simple little things that actually we could probably do most of them ourselves. So we've got to actually reset believing targets. And then we've got to lock them in. What do I mean by lock them in? You've got to write them down. Listen, you walk out of here and in five, ten minutes you're going to have forgot most of what I said to you. If, this is going to, if there's any transformational part of this, if there's going to be any transformation, it has to do with what you do with what I'm asking you to do. I can't change your circumstance. But God can. I'm going to encourage you to pray into those targets for 30 days. And then you're saying, hey, well, are you saying that in 30 days everything happens? No, I'm not. What I'm saying to you is if you pray into them every day for 30 days, you'll start to establish a pattern that you don't currently have right now about praying into difficult things for most of you, not all of you. And here's the prayer. It is a different prayer. It is that you pray, this is, this is crisis mode praying. We're praying for the most challenging things. So we're not praying about, you know, we're not praying about school. We're not praying about our job. We're not praying about finances. We're not praying about our, our marriage in that sense. We're not praying about safe travel. We're praying things that we cannot change. And so we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that the mountains in our life are going to move. By name, we pray for by name. In the mighty name of Jesus, that knees are going to bow. That's having to do with salvation. Tongues are going to confess. Those that aren't in our life. Every one of you have lost friends and family. That's a mighty name of Jesus prayer that we're praying. We're praying for the demons to flee. Are there demons in our world? Hello? <laughs> oh my goodness. Addictions, bondages like we've never seen on the earth to the degree we're seeing them. We're praying that strongholds will break in the mighty name of Jesus that we're facing and that others that we love and care, that faith will arise. Do we need any more faith here at Manor? Or have we got all we need? Have we achieved everything that God's called us to achieve? Do we need some more believing targets? There's a demon fly. <laughs> and salvation. Listen, we, we've ne we must never forget the outcome of the Red Sea. Moses answered the people that day. He said, do not be afraid. They were terrified, remember? He says, do not be afraid. Why? Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just need to be still. Amen? Isn't that glorious? Why is that important? Because the same thing that's going to happen here. The same thing is going to happen here. Do we have any Egyptians here in Canada? Not literal Egyptians. We do have them. But enemies? Are they enemies of the cross? Boy, they're growing more and more and more, aren't they? He's coming with the clouds, amen? Every eye is going to see him, even those that pierced him. Jesus is coming again. That is our ultimate hope, amen? And we have to stand firm in that hope. Let us, let us close in prayer here. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the faith that you have given us. Thank you for manner.
Gospel Church, thank you for what you've been doing here for so many decades. Thank you for those who were called to build this building. Thank you for these families that fill it. I bless these families in Jesus' name. So grateful to see these children in church receiving from your spirit. And as I close this morning, I'm just going to offer the opportunity for anyone who's in this church building this morning with us or even online. If you've never opened your heart to receive the Jesus I've been talking about, the one who died for you, the one who was buried for you, the one who paid for your sins and rose again, the one that's coming back, if you've never opened your heart to him, I'm going to just lead you in in a simple prayer right where you're sitting. In your heart, you don't have to say this out loud, but in your heart, Lord Jesus, say it. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me your child. The best I know how, I'm giving my whole life to you. Say that. The best I know how, I'm giving my whole life to you. And if you're praying that with me right now, would you raise your hand wherever you're at? If you're opening your heart to Jesus... Would you raise your hand up? Don't be afraid. Yeah, I'm seeing that little hand. Is there anybody else? Yes, sir, I'm seeing that hand. Anybody else up in the balcony? Opening your heart to the Lord. Wanting to believe Him. Wanting to trust Him. I see it. I see it. God bless you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.